Well, happy Father's Day, New Hope. It's good to see you. Today we're going to talk about what are you building your life with? And I want you, as we start this, to take a look at this. In the Bible, God often compares living your life with building a building. So if you don't want to waste your life, how do you build a life that counts? That's what we're going to talk about today. He says, just like a building, you can build a life that leaves a legacy, makes an impact on others, or you can blow your life. So you can build it or you blow it. You can waste it. Do nothing with it, like collecting shells. There are lots of ways that you can spend your life. It is your choice. Or you can actually build a life that has purpose and significance and meaning. Your choice. But remember, one day, you and I stand before an eternal judge who has perfect knowledge. No excuses do. So Paul compares living to being like a builder. First verse on your outline on the screen. The Bible says this, using the gift that God gave me. Everybody's got a gift. Nobody's without excuse. No, I don't have one. Please don't use that excuse because God knows he gave you one. And sometimes it takes an honest man and an honest woman to know the difference between fatigue and laziness. I know that's true for me. A very honest look at my heart. Use the gift God gave me. Using the gift that God gave me, I did the work of an expert builder. Skilled. Paul says, I'm a good builder. I know how to build a good life. Now, each of you must be careful how you build. How you build. See, you are building. The question is, are you building by your plan or God's plan? What are you building with your life? You can build a lot of things. In fact, this week I saw a lot of people spending an awful lot of time building their muscles at the gym. A lot of time. You can build a career. Spend your life building a career and gaining promotions and accolades and climbing the corporate ladder. You can do that. You can build wealth where the whole goal of your life is just to stockpile cash and assets to make you feel secure. And that's your foundation. Or you can build a nest. And maybe your goal is to build a beautifully decored house with all the appropriate accoutrements and all the fashion accessories. Or you could spend yourself building a reputation on building, I know some, who build their egos, especially on the sports field. Now the problem with each of those is that none of them are going to last, right? None of them. And you weren't put in here to simply make money and die. You were not put in earth for that. You weren't put in this earth to have a beautiful house and die. You weren't put on earth for that. You weren't put on earth to have a career and die. You weren't put there to just build up your muscles or your goal swing, drop the score and die. Because this is for sure. No, you were made for far more than that. Why? Because your life is going to outlast your time on earth. It's going to outlast it. That's why you don't want to waste your life chasing mirages, 
cruising and coasting and being comfortable all the time and letting life just happen to you and sort of bobbing around the ocean, being blown by the culture, the currents of culture. So what does God want you to do with your life? I tell you what he doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to waste your life. What he wants you to do is to be a kingdom builder. And to be a kingdom builder, what the heck does that mean? It means that I cooperate with God's plan for the universe and God's plan for my life. Question right now, are you cooperating with God's plan for your life or have you got your own kind of side letter, your side agenda, where you are pursuing that with everything you have? To be a kingdom builder means I don't go after my plans because otherwise I'm the king. I don't go after my plan and my purpose and my dreams. It means I say to God, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do whilst I'm on this earth for such a short time, whatever it is, I'll do it. That's what that means to be a kingdom builder, a kingdom of God builder. So God, remember this, has never made anything without a purpose. He's never made anything without a purpose and he made you for a purpose. So to be a kingdom builder means I say I want God's plan and purpose for my life, not my own. And that is the key to building a great life, not that. That's wasting your life. Now Jesus said it this way, seek first. Not second, first. Not even third, first. Seek first God's kingdom. That's his plan and his purposes, what he's interested in. Move my heart, Lord, to what moves yours is what we've just been singing. And his righteousness. So seek first the kingdom of God, that's his plan and his purpose, and his righteousness. Now we talked about that last week when we focused on purity. Remember that last week? And all these other things will be given to you as well. Now on this Father's Day, I want to look at five ways to be a kingdom builder. How to be a kingdom builder. And you may want to write these down. First, in any building... You have got to set the foundation right or everything else on top of it is flawed. So the first thing you need to do is make God the foundation of my life. Not a career, not a person, not a sport, not a hobby. God, the foundation. Because the foundation determines the size and the strength of any building. I don't know about you, but every time I drive around Howick, it drives me nuts when I see fences on this angle. Last time I thought they're supposed to be this angle. Straight up and down, Right? Problem? No foundation. Or chintzied foundation. Or nothing to build on strong. So eventually they fall. So you can never build larger than the foundation can handle. Put Christ there, it can stand the storm, as we sang again today. Now, if your life is built on a weak foundation, then when difficulties and floods undermine you, then you're shaken to the core. On the other hand, the Bible says here in Proverbs 24, verse 3, through godly wisdom, now look what happens. Notice, enumerating. Through godly wisdom, a life, one. Two, a home. Three, a family is built. Anybody want to have a life, home, and family built on a solid foundation? You bet. You'd be crackers not to. So how do you get it? Through godly wisdom. And it's established on a sound foundation. It's It's immovable. So, a foundation needs to be unmovable, unchangeable. That's why you never build your life on the culture, which is always changing around you. Why? Because everything in your life is going to change except for one thing in your life. I guarantee it. One, that's God. He will never change because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He is the only solid foundation. Now, if you build your life on your career, I am going to tell you, friend, as tough as this sounds and as hard as you work, your career will end. So do not put your hope in your career. It is crackers. Sometimes, not even anything to do with you, you can get the chop from way above. And it'll happen. So do not put your security in your career. Put it in Christ, who never changes. If he turns off that tap, he'll open another tap over here to provide for you, because he's your provider, your uh, Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Now, the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 3.11, no one can lay any other foundation, in other words, other ones are invalid, than the one we already have, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only true cornerstone the foundation. Why? Because he doesn't change. Now the reason, that is the reason why marriages fall apart, careers fall apart, lives fall apart because they're built on the wrong foundation. Proverbs 12, 3 says this. You, I love this in the message. You can't find the firm footing in a swamp. Well, no kidding. Ever tried to stand on mud? Slip everywhere you go. But a life rooted in God stands firm. Now, let me just tell you straight up. Stuff on TV is swampland. Don't measure your life and be influenced by that junk because most of it is portraying very flawed values, flawed worldviews. Now, it's Father's Day and Dad's noticed this verse. If you want your kids and your grandkids to be stable and secure. Anybody want that? I do. I'm a dad and a granddad. And this verse is very important. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, reverence for God gives a man deep strength and his children have a place of refuge and security. Let me tell you, your kids are secure internally. You are not a winner. You want them to last a distance and not be blown around by the values of this world. That's the key there. You and your family need God as your foundation to have a place of refuge and security. Everything else is swampland because it changes. It's unstable. Darren, who's a a master builder, um, would not ever build in a place where the ground is unstable. We saw that in Christchurch. And with that, I want you to welcome, put your hands together and welcome a good friend of mine, Darren Westfall. Thanks, Ian. So, Ian's um, asked me to share with you guys today just uh, some of the stuff foundation in my life. Uh, I'm married. Uh, I have three kids. We've got a slide there somewhere. Coming up. And uh, I wasn't supposed to show a wedding photo, but I stick this one in anyway. And I have three children. And uh, I have had to really use a good, strong foundation in my life to get me through some hard times. Uh, I'm not from a Christian background. I'm from a non-Christian background. And when I first became a Christian, I attended a home group that really got me well-established in God's Word and well-established in a really good, solid root and foundation. And I didn't realise how important that was going to be until years later. Uh, Years later, I uh, finally met my wife and I proposed to her. And just before we got married, she ended up in hospital uh, quite sick. And so did one of my groomsmen. And I remember sitting there thinking, really, really sorry for myself. And uh, why is this happening, God? And I thought, okay, I'll open my Bible at random and just ask God for some verses. And I've got three really strange verses, and they're about a barren woman becoming pregnant, all three of them through the Old and New Testament. And I thought, this is really strange. Anyway, so I went to um, the hospital and caught up with my wife-to-be, and um, she'd had some really bad news. She was told that she couldn't have children, and uh, she was really upset. And I remember thinking, whoa, 
And then I remember those three verses God had gave me. And so I shared them with her and we claimed them right there and then. And uh, obviously we got married. You know, two years later, we thought Roseanne might be pregnant. So we went to the doctor and we said, um, we think Roseanne's pregnant. And he reminded us that she couldn't get pregnant. And uh, so he said, he'd do the test anyway. And he went away, did the test, came back. And his first words to us were, I have to sit down because she was pregnant. And uh, we just gave God the glory for that. You know, um, obviously nine months later, uh, we started to get excited. We started to prepare for getting, having children. I went to the courses that my wife booked me on. I read the books that she told me to read. And uh, I talked to the parents. I did that on my own accord. And uh, my son Jonathan was born and it was fantastic. He was the first grandson on both sides of the family. He was healthy and everything was great on day one. And on day two, I received a message at work. You have to get to Starship. Your son is critical. Um, you have to go now. And by the time I got to Starship, my son's body was blown up like a balloon, like someone had got a balloon and inflated in it. And the diagnosis wasn't good. Uh, they said he probably won't last the week. And um, there was nothing, they were going to do what they could. And um, I was devastated. We both were devastated. And I sort of asked a lot of questions. God, why? Why is this happening? And uh, I didn't really have any answers at the time. And um, I made a conscious decision. I'm going to put into practice a verse which I knew well. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And so I tried to rejoice and I prayed and I cried a lot, a lot. Every day was a new day. Every day, Jonathan defied the odds. Um, every day he, he got stronger and had lots of surgeries and stuff like that. Uh, and he had a lot of surgeries. And we lived in Starship for a very long period of time. And then the next thing the uh, surgeons told us is that, uh, you know, or a surgeon said to me personally, he said, your marriage won't survive and you need to be ready for that. And I remember thinking, no, you know, there's a verse in the Bible and it says, even the youth shall be exhausted, but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up like eagles and you know the rest of it. And uh, I claimed that verse right there and then. And uh, I prayed for that verse. And I also prayed that God would make me a rock in my family and that I would be the stabilising force in my family. And those few, first few years weren't easy. Um, we spent a lot of time in Starship and we met a lot of other couples in Starship as well. And we saw a lot of couples part and, um, and leave each other behind. We saw one couple abandon their child and just leave them in Starship and he died in Starship. And we saw some pretty tough times. Um, you know, and um, I kept thinking of verses like, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. You will find me when you seek me in earnest. I was doing a lot of seeking and I was doing a lot of praying. And um, there were days that I felt down and out. But I kept remembering that verse. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And, um, and we got through those first few really difficult years. And then one day, uh, Roseanne came home and she told me she was pregnant again. And we were like, whoa. And we got excited and we got scared because we didn't want to go through the same stuff we'd already been through with um, our first child. And um, I decided, you know, I'm going to dedicate it to God and just leave it in God's hands. In around 18, 18 to 20 weeks, um, there were complications and uh, Roseanne was admitted to uh, Middlemore again. And um, she was there for a while and then she was sent home. And she'd only been home a few minutes when she miscarried. And uh, I remember as I followed the ambulance to the hospital, I was crying out to God again, why? Why is this happening? Why us again, you know? Why can't we just have a healthy child? Why can't things just go right? And uh, I remember I got to hospital and Roseanne was wheeled into surgery. 
And I was in the little foyer just outside the surgical area and I, I was down on my knees and I was crying. And I couldn't understand what was happening, you know? And then a surgeon came out and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, we have a viable heartbeat. It was twins. And at that moment, I was like really happy and really sad. And I was just like, whoa, what, what is happening here? And um, I remember I sat on that floor and I, I, I didn't know what to think. I was so mixed up emotionally. And even today, that still cuts me up. So my introduction to fatherhood was pretty rough. And, um, but I know that through God's foundation and His Word and the people around Him, I've, I've been able to get through that. And you know, I've done many things wrong as a father and as fathers today, today. But there's one thing that I've done really, really well. And that is every day I tell my kids that I love them. And every day I tell their mother that I love her in front of them as many times as I can. And um, I don't believe I could have coped with all the things that we've dealt with. And there've been many, many others. There's just one little part um, without a good foundation in God. And I always come back to that verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it in good times and in bad. Thank you. Thank you. A firm foundation is what you're going to need. Young people, listen to me. Until you're about 20, the world's a bubble and you don't often feel the real pressures of this world until later on. You need the Lord as your foundation. That's the first step in building a life that counts. Because when you have the Lord as your firm foundation, you won't get knocked out of the race. Many a person would have gotten knocked out of the race. Darren and Roseanne stayed in the race because they have the Lord holding them strong. So to build a life that has a solid foundation and pleases God, that's the first thing you need to do. Make God the foundation. And number two, this is very important. Remember what matters most. Dads, remember what matters most. Now this is so easy to forget. Why? Because the world rewards other things. It rewards accomplishments and achievements and acquisitions. That's what the world, wow, wow, wow. And it recognises those things. But you know what? There is no award that I've seen for being unselfish and loving. So we have to go back to the Bible to remind ourselves what matters most, not accomplishments, not accoutrements and acquisitions and achievements. But here it is, Galatians 5. The only thing, the only thing, this is focus, the only thing that matters and counts is faith expressing itself in what? Love. Faith expressing itself, do not forget the last, in love. So one day when you stand before God at the judgment, like we saw in the video, he's not going to say, hey, Michelle, how much money did you make? Who cares? Who cares? He's not going to say, Des, how many accomplishments did you have on your top shelf? What did you accomplish? Or were you a beautiful person? Were you the most handsome, the most best looking, the most stunning person? Nah, not even in there. He is going to say, did you love? Did you do what I put you on earth to do? 
He's going to say, did you learn to love me? And did you learn to love other people? Did you learn, here it is, to be unselfish? Did you learn that? Or really, was life all about you? Paul gets even clearer. I love Paul. Gargantuan intellect. 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak with human or angelic eloquence, in other words, if I'm the best speaker on the planet, but didn't love, it'd just be a bunch of noise. If I could predict the future and explain every mystery, but didn't love others, it would be worthless. And if I had such great faith that I could move mountains without love, that'd mean nothing. And even if I gave my, all of my possessions, so you sold your house, the whole lot, and you gave it to the poor, and you even sacrificed your body to be burned. Without love, it's of zero value. Wow! He is trying to make some very antithetical comparisons here. Now we all remember the formula, E equals... Right, so you've all got that down. Some useless formula that Einstein came up with. I mean, it's useful for some things. But for you, not too much. I want to give you another one. Here it is, write it down. I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. Here it is. Life. Minus, put the minus sign. Get a pen. Love equals zero. So life minus love equals zero. Do not forget that. That is far more important to your eternal destiny and your living life on purpose than E equals MC squared, which you have memorized. So what is it? Life minus... Great. Get it? Good. Let's move. Paul is saying here, love is more important than all the spiritual gifts exercised in the church body. Now love makes our actions and gifts more useful. Although people have different gifts, you have a different one. By the way, thank you for sharing your gift from California with us today. You have that gift. I don't have that. But every one of us have got different gifts, right? But there's one that we all have and we're commanded to show love. No excuse for that one. So the third secret of building a life of significance is this. Men, we need to remember this because we get too jolly busy for this. I thank God I've got people like Grant and Martin who call me up and haul me out of my little hole and are good companions. Gather right companions to build a life that counts. I must associate with the right people, the right friends. I must stay away from the wrong kinds of friends. By the way, one of the ways you can tell those is what values they hold. Hard to run if they have a vision this way and you have a vision this way. Two visions is division. Division. Be careful when you get married. First thing you need to check, where they're hidden. Because if they're going to this way and you're going that way, you've got a problem coming straight away. So make sure you've got value alignment. huh? Very important. So, those you choose to associate with will decide the direction of your life. Notice what the Bible says here. Very clear. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Don't be fooled. Bad company ruins good character. Bad company ruins good character or it corrupts it as another version says. Now you just have to speak to my brother who was up there this week. He, he was in the drug scene for a long time and he had to get out of this thing, get away from those people 
so he could break that habit because those people knew his phone, phone number, knew where to get him and knew how to give him those drugs. Bad company corrupts good morals. On the other hand, that's the negative side, the Bible encourages positively in Proverbs 2.20, join the company of good men and women who will keep your feet on the right and true paths. I like that. Hang with the good guys. The guys that are going in the right direction, they've got the same goals as you. Where, one of the places you can do that? Where's one place you can do that? In church. That's a good place to find good men and good women who will keep your feet in the right path. Life, friends, is better together. It doesn't matter whether you're working out. When I'm at the gym, I've got a guy down there that I often work out with. And it's much better when I'm doing it with him. Much more fun too. If you're doing recovery, when Pat was getting out of the drug scene, it is almost impossible to do it by yourself. You need to do life together with others who are going at the right road in the right direction. Bible study is a great opportunity to do life together. There's an accountability. You're going to show up on time. Be there. So a great way is join a church. That's one way. If you haven't joined your church, join one. Now there's a fourth thing that God says to do. And this is critical. Gets to what John was chatting about here. You need to make a build a life, to a great life, is you need to commit to a great purpose. Not collecting cells. That is so pathetic. It really is. In the grand scheme of you, what are you committed to? Good question. If you want to be a great man, a great woman, you need to commit to a great purpose for your life. Don't give it to some second class or 10th class cause. You've got one life. Commit to a great cause. You need something bigger than yourself to draw you out of yourself, to bring greatness out of you. But it isn't going to happen if you're just living for you. Now, greatness comes when ordinary people make a great commitment to a great cause or a great purpose. And we say it in this church this way, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great Christian and a great church. But notice there's one common word in all of those. Actually, two, great and commitment. Not, yeah, float along. A great commitment. Run in such a way as to win with intentionality and purpose. That's what Paul's getting at. It's not kind of like a lukewarm commitment. We only become great by giving ourselves to something greater than us and there is nothing greater than the kingdom of God because that's going to last. It's the only thing that's going to last. Your career will not last. Your hobby will not last. Even your family are not going to last but the kingdom of God will last forever. Now, when you make that commitment, it draws greatness out of you because Jesus says this and critically in Matthew 20, whoever wants to be great must become your servant. Now, that is true in any occupation. If you want to be a great teacher, you must serve your pupils well. If you want to be a great salesman, you must serve your customers' needs well. Serve them. Serve them and they'll meet your needs. If you want to be a great businessman, you must serve your clients. Or a politician or government leader, you must serve your constituency faithfully and with integrity. If you want to be a great husband, you must serve your family. Serve your family. Now in any area of life, the key to greatness is not getting on some sort of ego trip or some PR statement or posting some PR statement about yourself on Facebook disguised of what's going on, which can often happen. The key to greatness is service. And Jesus said that. And God is why the universe that the more you give your life away 
to help others, the more value you are to the kingdom of God. Let me give you an example of that. A stunner, which we all know about. Mother Teresa, she went, not to Beverly Hills, but to the poorest of the poor. She stepped down into greatness, just like Jesus did, and helped them. And through that, she became, quite interestingly, one of the most influential people in the world by stepping down. See, the world's got the all out. They're climbing up. No, no, no. God says, that's wrong. You need to step down into greatness. Stepping down into greatness. The key to greatness is service. Jesus said that. Look at this one here. Mark 8, 35. If. Now, you have a choice. When Jesus says if, you have a choice. If. You insist on saving yourself, your life, yourself. You'll lose it. You'll lose the plot. You'll get off on your own plan, not my plan for the kingdom. Only those who give their lives away, very countercultural, for my sake and the sake of the good news, very clear what it's for, the good news, will ever know what it truly means to live. You may want to circle that and just spend a little time on that. I spent 20 minutes on it and it's getting, until it becomes uncomfortable, then you know you're starting to get where the Spirit's directing you. So Jesus gives us a choice. We can use all of our energy. There's only so many hours in the day. We all have 168 hours in the week. We can use all of our energy for our pleasures. We can do that. Our possessions or our position, which are temporary and ultimately worthless. They cannot be exchanged for your soul and in the end, you will find it empty and hollow if you pursue it to the end. Now Jesus asks us very boldly and unashamedly to lose our self-centred determination to be in charge. That's what he's saying. Will you lose it for my sake? Only those who give away their lives will ever know what it really means to live. 1 John 2.17 says this, the world and all its desires, all those things that everybody else wants will pass away. But the man, the woman, who does the will of God will live forever. Now it's good to clarify at this point. If you're in God's family, you are called to Christian service. Let me just say it again, because I'm going to stretch this out and get some sharpness on this focus. If you're in God's family, you are called, called to by God, not by me, by God, your, your creator, to Christian service. Now, every Christian is not called to full-time church work, i.e. to work in a church full-time, but everybody, if you're a Christian, is called to full-time ministry. And by the way, you happen to work part-time for your existing employer. 
So your primary call is full-time Christian ministry. Let me say it another way. You cannot serve God part-time and claim to be a Christian. Your primary identity is not a student. Your primary identity is I am a Christian and I happen to be right now where God's put me at university and there's all these people around me he's given to be salt and light to. My primary identity is to be a salesman, is not a sales manager in a company, it's I'm a Christian. And by the way, God's given me the privilege of leading the sales team. But I'm first and foremost, and if I leave that sales manager position and I go to a general manager position, my first priority and my first identity is I am a Christian. And by the way, right now, God has me working part-time as a general manager. My primary identity is a Christian. So, Here's another thing I want to say to you. Your boss, think about him or her, is not your real boss. Your real boss is the Lord. You see where I'm going with that? Your real boss is the Lord. Actually, actually, your earthly boss may suck. But your real boss is God. So don't get too upset. Remember that. He's only your secondary boss, or she is. So the Bible says, and this is important, whatever you do, Whatever you do. You may flip burgers. That's not a bad thing to do at all. Especially if you work for Burger Bear. (laughs) Or you might write public policy. You might do that. But here's what the Bible says, Colossians 2. Notice, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Because you're working for the Lord, not people. So I want you to write right underneath that. My occupation is not my vocation. My occupation is not my vocation. Your occupation is your job. And your job will change many, 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 many times. And you'll end up in industries and fields you haven't even got a clue about right now. That's just the way life works. Your vocation, which comes from the Latin word um, where we get the word voice, means your calling and it will never change. The gifts and the callings of God will never be revoked. They never change. Your calling. Now the Bible says we are um, to give ourselves in ministry regardless of what you do. Now I just want to Shake it up a little bit here. Have you ever considered serving through a church? Have you ever ever even asked God about it? Are you even open to it? Or is that, well, that's off limits. Really? Where God calls, where God um, guides, he provides. So are you even open to that? See, Jesus called grown men, grown men, successful businessmen, interesting, look at them all, to leave their occupations. He called them. Yeah, look about Matthew. He's probably glad to get out of his job. He worked for the IAD, the equivalent in those days. It wasn't very light. Come, leave it. He was collecting taxes. How about Andrew, Peter and John? They had a very successful fishing business. They were doing good. 
None of them, I want to point out, have been to Bible school. None of them have been to seminary. None of them had degrees. But Jesus started the church with businessmen. And by the way, a lot of businesswomen as well supported the ministry. You go read it. Mark 1, 16 on the screen. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting an into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. What does that mean? I want to suggest to you they had a career change. God called grown men to leave their careers and follow him. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to tell you to do that. I am saying he might. He might. Now, whether he does or he doesn't, here's a question. This, this question is equally valid. Are you willing? Are you willing? See, greatness starts with us saying, God, I will serve you anywhere, any way, and any time. Darren, do you just want to come up and share this last part? Okay, so I've had many careers. Um, I've been a uh, loomsman, a builder, a technology teacher. I've been a youth worker, a PE teacher, an outdoor teacher, an outdoor um, outdoor education teacher, an outdoor instructor. I've uh, owned and managed a building company and I owned and managed a rock climbing gym. And currently I'm a teacher, I'm a builder who owns a rock climbing gym. And I do all of the above. And um, I've, all of these things um, I've used in my life and God's given me lots of uh, abilities and I've used those in my life. But there's one thing that has never changed and there's one call in my life. Right from the very first time I became a Christian, I had a heart for non-Christian kids. And I had a heart to take the message that God loves them and Jesus died for them right from the age of 16. And uh, over 30 years later, I am still taking that message. That calling has never, ever left me. Mm. Um, most youth workers last about six months. I've lasted over 30 years. And uh, I know that's because it was God's calling in my life. And uh, there have been times I've wanted to give up. There's been times I've wanted to walk away. And usually at that time, God's brought one of the very kids who I helped early on back into my life to remind me what I've done and remind me to why I should be still doing it. And um, today my role's changed. I started off as a peer. I sort of became a big brother. I then became a father figure. And now my role is more of a, a peer mentor to people that are also work with non-Christian kids. And I still work with non-Christian kids myself and uh, the kids that don't go to church. And um, I really know I've, belo- I've belonged in this role and I've survived this long because of God's call in my life. And I also know I'm at my happiest and I'm at my best when I'm putting that into practice because I've answered God's call. Thanks. There's always a reason why I'm too busy. haven't got enough time. Darren has prioritised the kingdom's plans. He's got every reason why I've got kids who need my attention this week. One of his sons was in hospital twice. There's always some reason. Don't let... Remember the parable about the the sower who's sown the seed. Some of them let the cares of this life, the worries, choke out their productivity for the kingdom. It was all the weeds were growing up around it. Okay, as we finish point five. As it's Father's Day, we're talking about five keys to a life of significance, a life that makes a difference, that leaves a legacy, makes an impact. Now we shared four. 
There's one more that you need to do if you're going to live a life of significance that's going to build a kingdom, and this is it. You have to have the courage to stand alone. Great people never follow the crowd. They lead the way. They're willing to buck the conventional wisdom of the day. Sometimes you might feel quite alone in that. That's okay. If God is with you, who cares? They lead the way. They're They're unafraid to do what's unpopular. You know what it's like at work. They're having this conversation. It's going completely south. You have an immediate crisis where you say, do I say something or don't? My suggestion is you do say something. The appropriate way, in the appropriate tone, with the appropriate grace and decorum. You do. They counter the prevailing culture, these people. They need the courage to stand alone. Now, great dads need great courage. And this is true in any area of your life. Great scientists, who stood alone, people like Galileo and Copernicus, against all of the conventional wisdom, they said, no, this is the way. There were great people. Great social leaders like William Wilberforce. You know what he did? For 26 years. Now feel that for a minute. 26 years battling to abolish slavery until he finally had enough votes to abolish it. 26 years. Now in terms of courage, let's look at this. Exodus um, 23, 2. Don't join the crowd that intends to do evil. Don't be swayed in your testimony by the opinion of the majority. That's a great verse. It encourages us, don't do that. Most of the time, the majority is flat wrong. Second, another verse here, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand true to what you believe. This is good. And by the way, I want to encourage you young people. I see most courage exhibited by young people who stand up for what they believe and they fight hard for it. Sometimes as we get older, we tend to acquiesce and sort of like just sort of go into the background. Don't do that. Be courageous. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. But, and this is a big but, and everything you do must be done in love. There was nothing more hideous. I want to, sounds terrible for a pastor, I want to punch some guys out sometimes. I heard one guy the other day sounding off some righteous, obnoxious, holier than thou, pumped up Christian. I want to deck him. Get out of here. You are disgraced to the kingdom. Speaking like that to all these unchurched people in an unchurched, in, in an unchurched funeral. Slamming them hard. That's not the way Jesus did that. Actually, Jesus slammed the religious establishment and he comforted the afflicted. And those who didn't know. Is your pastor allowed to say things like that? You don't get all excited? Yeah, that's all right. Anyway, what's needed today is courage. Look at this last verse. 2 Samuel 10, 12 in this section. Be courageous and let us fight bravely. See, fighting's become a bit of a, yeah, you don't want to fight. Actually, you do want to fight for some things. I'm not saying be a scrappy fellow at everything, but pick your battles and stand on those principles. Fight bravely, save our people and the cities of God. May the Lord's will be done. He says, be courageous. Why? Because following, let me say it simply, following Christ is not for wimps. Simple. Fitting in is wimpish. Being a chameleon is for wimps. Keeping your mouth shut when things go wrong, that's for wimps. 
Edmund Burke famously said, the only thing for evil to triumph is for good people to stand back and do nada, nothing. So, be courageous. Then it says, fight bravely. We're in a battle, guys, between good and evil. God is looking for men and women who will stand up for what's right. God is looking for kingdom builders. Your past doesn't matter. Your race doesn't matter. Your wealth doesn't matter. Your experience doesn't matter. What he's looking for is men and women who will stand up with courage. Would you pray with me? In fact, I'd like all the men, please, to stand up. The men, every one of you men, I want to pray for you specifically. What a blessing to have so many men. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today as I look out on these men, all these guys I care about that I love, I thank you so much that they're here today. When so many are out there living for themselves, they're here to hear your word and to study your word. I pray that each of us will make you the foundation of our lives. Because you have said that reverence for you gives a man deep strength. And my prayer for these men is that you would give them deep strength. We need that today, Lord. And you said that their children and their grandchildren will have a place of refuge and security. Father, I pray you'd bless them with that. Help us to build our firm foundation on Jesus Christ. And Lord, when everybody else is running the race for acquisitions and achievements and accomplishments and acknowledgement from this world, help us to remember what matters most is love. Love to you, Lord, to love you and to love our wives, to love our sisters and our families and our kids our friends, and yes, our enemies help us, Lord, with that. You have said that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And no matter what else we do, if we have not love, it is of no value. Help us to remember, Lord, that you said our care for others is the measure of our greatness. Now some of us have tough decisions to make this week about some of the friends we've been hanging with. Some of us need to drop friends that aren't real friends. They're holding us back and they're actually pulling us down. And they're not leading us in the right direction. They're leading us in the wrong direction. Help us by your Spirit to gather good companions to join the company of good men and women as you said, who will keep us on the right path to be in a group, to be in a church, maybe even to take one-on-one. And help us to find fellowship that we need, Lord. And I pray that every man and every woman here will commit to a great purpose for their lives. Not some weak second class course. Now you said that if we want to be great, we need to be the servant of all. So would you help us and show us how to give our life away and to learn what it means to really live. We realise that everything else is going to be burnt up. It's going to pass away. But Lord, your word says, the man who does the will of God will live forever. And the most important thing of all I pray for these men is that you would give them a sense of godly courage. The courage to stand alone and to be an honourable person, a man of honour to be strong, 
and to do everything in love, not to be swayed by the opinions of the majority. Now, Father, I just want to pray. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I want to invite you to do that now. All you've got to do is you've got to say, yes, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. If that's you, just say that in your head. He knows every thought you've ever thought and what you're thinking right now. Say, please forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and be the manager of my life. Direct me by your Spirit from here on out. And you call the shots. Because if He's God, He knows so much more than you. Tell Him that you want to live for Him. And ask Him to save you. Say, God, save me. Save you to make a difference in this world. Now, Father, I pray that these men you see here today, this group of men, that you bless them with understanding that they would understand the shortness of the time and what to do with their lives. Holy Spirit, individually guide each man here. Use these men that are standing to save other people, to share your good news. I pray this blessing in the name of the name which is above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And everybody said, Amen.